Hello and welcome to Laid Bag Lush, where we discuss wine, beer, and spirits for the novice and the veteran alike. I'm Michael, a foodie and craft beverage enthusiast, and with me is... Gabe. I'm a wine professional who works with wine and spirits education. You can follow along the transcript on our WordPress if you would like today, and make sure to follow along with us at Laid Back Lush on Instagram and Twitter. So, today we are going to be talking about Uzo, which was a suggestion that you made uh, last episode, On Gabe. the fly, at yeah. that. Please tell me a little bit about why you were wanting to get into Uzo for this episode. Because I've never tried it before, and oh. I thought to myself, hmm, we haven't done a spirits episode in a while, and I would like to try something new. Hmm, my friend said he had his friends try Uzo, and they all hated it, so let's see if I like it. Uh, that actually makes sense. Yeah. And you do you do find yourself liking a lot of things that other people are like, nah, not so much on board with? It depends on the thing, but sometimes, yes. Mm, I see. So today, uh, since you wanted us to be talking about Uzo, we were thinking about just discussing the history, the production, the tasting and flavor profile, and we're going to be doing a little tasting with you guys. Hopefully you were able to secure your bottle of Uzo for our tasting. And we're also going to briefly go over how it's sometimes mixed in cocktails and used in food. Yes. So without further ado, let's get into it. So... Can you tell me a little bit about the history and origin of Uzo? I can. So, in the 14th century, we have some monks on Mount Athos, which is on the Athos Peninsula in Macedonia. And they began to make a drink called Sporo. Just to let you guys know, if you do go to that transcript I mentioned earlier, it'll help you with the spelling of these. I promise you we are going to say some stuff. And you're not going to be able to transcribe it yourself. Yes. So please do follow that uh, in order to look up what we're talking about. Also, we both tried to actually look up words this time. And we have already discovered that sometimes we both had two different pronunciations given to us by the internet. So we tried. Hopefully it's correct. So what is Sporo then? And how does it relate to Uzo? So Sporo is a neutral spirit that is made from grape pomace, which is what is left in a wine press when you press wine grapes for wine. It can also be made from the wine itself, but basically you just put that grape pomace, and I assume, I didn't read this directly, but I assume you'd have to macerate it in order to distill it. But you are distilling either that or the wine that is going to become Sporo. So this was made into a neutral spirit. And then a flavored version of this was also beginning to be made at the time, flavored with anise. So is that the same type of like anise as star anise? No. Separate spice. This is anise seed. Anise seed. Yes. I see. Okay. So and how did people respond to that? What, what was, was that something that was popular at the time? It became popular. And that's kind of what then begins to get us into more ouzo territory. Okay, because, you know, I, I don't hear a lot about Uzo. How did it start to really kind of gain traction more in modern times? So what we now consider to be Uzo began to grow a lot in its production and its popularity after the Greek War of Independence. This was fought against the Ottomans in 1821. I'm not going to get into the history of that here, but it is a very interesting war if you're curious about it. On the island of Ternavos... We have a man called Nikolaus Katsaros, 
1856, he established the first Uzo distillery in Greece, and it is called Tirnavau. It is still in operation. It is still owned within the family. I believe it is his great-great-grandson that oh, currently wow. owns the distillery, or great-grandson. Um, it's not too far removed from him, actually. I was pretty surprised to find out how close wow. it was to him. That's an incredible amount of people that must have been pretty well-established, and it must have done pretty well in order to do that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they're still making it, so. Have there been any changes in that time? That I am not sure of in their specific distilling process, aside from in 1932, which I don't know if they were already using this, but in an industry-wide event, in 1932, Uzo began to be distilled in copper stills, which is now the standard method. And these are pretty reminiscent of pot stills, from at least from the images that I saw. So what is the production process for Uzo, and how does it differ from other spirits? So Uzo starts with a rectified spirit, which is going to be ethyl alcohol of an agricultural origin. So corn, um, other huge production scale agriculture, you can make this with. It's neutral, so it's not going to have any flavor on its own. And it's going to be like almost entirely alcohol. We're talking 96% to 97% ABV. Oh, wow. And uh, this also for Uzo production, at least, is going to be distilled in these copper stills. So something to note here is this is kind of where the delineation between Sporo as the origin and Uzo as an offshoot comes in. We are not using those wine byproducts anymore to make it. What we are doing is instead for flavoring, we are going to be putting in the anise after this distillation happens. We have our rectified spirit. And other flavorings can also be added. Some popular choices are star anise, so not the same thing, but is often added. Fennel, cardamom, coriander, cloves, an ingredient called mastija, which has an herbaceous flavor. I'm not super familiar with it, but actually what we're drinking now does have it in it. And cinnamon is also a very common ingredient for ouzo flavoring. Now, the and, drink that uh, we have here is a lot less strong than 96%. So correct. what goes on after that point in order to, to get us where we're at? So we have from that distillation with all the ingredients, all the flavoring ingredients and the rectified spirit, what is called the ouzo yeast. This comes more as a holdover term from like the wine origins of this whole product. There is no actual yeast in this product. It's more of the idea of the yeast being like the starting point, quote unquote, of fermentation. So this is kind of like your raw product, for lack of a better way of putting it. It's the unrefined state that it's in once you get the flavoring ingredients in. So this is going to then be distilled again. And as with whiskey production, if you're familiar, uh, your heads, which is the start of your distillations, and the tails, which is the very end point of your distillations, are going to be cut out. That's because a lot of off flavors and aroma compounds can get into those heads and tails. So they're normally taken off for a lot of different spirits. So this is a way of getting the quality of the ouzo that's going to be produced at the end to be just higher. It's by mm -hmm. making sure that you have this more center product. Yeah, those heads and tails, though, they might be combined and redistilled to make kind of a lesser quality ouzo product as well. But they normally won't be at least in the higher quality ouzos. Mm. So once we have that, the main body of liquor will be redistilled. Oh, wow. For a higher quality product. 
water will then be added to arrive at your bottling strength, which is the final proof of the alcohol. Some distillers will even do it a third time just for that increased um, delicate aroma profile, because the more you redistill, the more you're taking out. So, so far we have rectified spirit, anise oil, and water, and those are our primary ingredients. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And the other flavorings, if you're using other flavorings. Most producers have, it's like gin, a you know special secret blend yeah. of their flavoring ingredients that they use. So is there anything else that has to be done before that's ready to go to a table? Yeah, so there's two things. Uh, one, the ouzo will be left to rest in stainless steel tanks like wine uh, before bottling. Well, a lot of wine, at least. Wine that's not going to be Asian oak. And that's just to make sure everything kind of congeals and everything is consistent in the solution and all that stuff. Just to, you know, let it rest, as they say. And then the second thing that happens for some producers. So, you know, these more high quality producers that are doing these repeated distillations might just bottle off of that. A lot of other producers, though, do combine their ouzo yeast with ethyl alcohol flavored with a 0.05% natural anethyl. Now, anethyl is a phenylpropanoid organic aroma compound that is a primary component in the flavor and aroma of anise and fennel. That's that licorice smell and flavor. That's where your black licorice flavor comes from. And then they will dilute it with water to the bottling strength. Yeah, so what exactly is the bottling strength that they're diluting it down to? The minimum that you can have for Uzo in terms of your proof is going to be 37.5% ABV. It can go up to 50%. I know a couple of producers actually produce... Uh, something akin to a navy proof gin, which is going to be 55%, but those are pretty rare. Okay, so you have these different percentages that they can be, but that doesn't really tell me a lot about what it's going to taste like. What would you say is going to be that flavor profile, if you could describe that? So primarily you're going to be having licorice flavor, black licorice in particular. A lot of people dislike ouzo for that reason, kind of the same reason they dislike absinthe and Jaeger. I personally am not a huge Jaeger fan, but I am an absinthe fan, so I enjoy this. It's a pretty delicate flavor profile overall, I would say, at least compared to the likes of absinthe, let's say. Um, it's much less intense than absinthe is. It does not have that herbaceous quality that absinthe has, so like no wormwood and none of the other herbs that typically go into absinthe and Jaeger. Uh, it's not herbal or, or earthy, really. It's very refreshing, actually, Interesting. which might be kind of weird to hear for something that tastes like licorice, but I would consider it at least to be pretty refreshing. And so those are kind of the key flavor profiles that you think that we should be looking for inside mm -hmm. of Nuzo. Yeah. Well, why don't we uh, go ahead and hopefully you guys have, again, gotten a chance to actually go out and purchase one of your Uzo bottles. Um, we're going to go ahead and do a little tasting with you guys. If you would like, you can join us and follow along. So now that we have gotten our little bit of ouzo, for those of you at home, we are recommending that you only maybe do an ounce or two at a time, just so that we are keeping ourselves nice and safe. Always, please do drink responsibly. No matter what the cellar goblin says. No matter what the cellar goblin that exists inside of the soul of both myself and I'm Gabe back. says. Oh, no. <laughs> You call. <laughs> but without further ado, why don't we go through this little uh, this little tasting? 
So why don't you go ahead and uh, take me through through this guy, Gabe? I, I've just poured the ouzo into my glass. It is very clear. I'm not really seeing... There's like a, a good deal of viscosity, which is something I would expect from this level of alcohol, but uh, yeah. what, what should I be looking for here? Well, if you're just drinking straight ouzo, obviously it's a clear white liquor. Is it traditionally had straight, or what, what ways of serving is it typically done? So in Greece, is most often going to be drunk... Unless it's the first sip. I have seen some people say you you know want to get a, a sense for the ouzo by sipping it neat. But the most common way it is drunk is actually to dilute it with water. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, I thought so too. I was like, why would you want to dilute your alcohol? That's dumb and stupid. Come on, Greece, catch up <laughs> with the rest of the world. Yeah, I was just like, no, I want it to slap me in the face. But... It actually has a really cool little effect. So if you want to pour that little glass of water that you oh. have into your tasting glass. Right. Well, I, I just took a taste of it. And, you know, there is that really like strong flavor. Mm -hmm. A lot of alcohol on the nose. Yeah. It's, it's not that it's bad. It's just. It's and strong. I do, yeah, it's strong. And I do like the licorice flavor, I should preface. Yeah. But uh, about how much should I pour into this? So normally people will say start with a two to one ratio and kind of determine from there what level of dilution you like it at. So whether that be more or less, but start with, let's say, a two to one for now. OK, so two water to one of the ouzo. I'm going yeah. to go ahead and do this. Oh, and there's that there's that effect that you described. That is striking. Yeah, so ouzo is a fun little drink in that it gets cloudy when you pour water into it. Wow. I mean, and it, it's really, it's not opaque, but it's, it, it's cloudy enough to where I can't see through it. It's definitely, it's kind of on the verge. Yeah. It's translucent for sure, but it is bordering kind of on opaque. Because like I can kind of see, I can see the outline of my fingers through my glass, but I can't like really make them out very well. Yeah, I can see the shadow if I hold it up in front of a light, but that's mm -hmm. about it. Uh, so, and what is this reaction caused by? That anethol compound. It is in an essential oil from the aniseed. And when it is made and distilled as ouzo, and even if they are adding water to it, the way that they do it, it does not induce this reaction. Because alcohol is more solvent than water for certain things, the anethol stays locked up in that solution. But when you add the water, all of a sudden it can't stay in that solution. And so it then will fall out of the solution and therefore causing that cloudy effect. Wow. Okay. So we basically have this compound that's in there and it's, it's already been dissolved. It's already in solution. And what we're doing is we're essentially lowering the concentration. Mm-hmm. In order to make all of those tiny, tiny, tiny micro bubbles fill this up. Yeah. That's incredible. Let's get to tasting this. While you're tasting that, I will say in Greece, as a side note, uh, during the summer months, actually, instead of sometimes, instead of just doing strictly water, they'll put it over ice just because it's oh, really hot. Yeah, more and, refreshing. Yeah. All right. Let me go ahead and. Wow. Now, that is very different from what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought that by watering it down, we would be, like, watering it down. Yeah. But it's almost as though it's more open mm -hmm. than it was before, and I don't have that alcohol bite distracting from the flavor. This is a surprisingly delicate drink. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about it, is because it is 
that licorice flavor, but I think at least in the United States, you know, we're so used to licorice being like licorice candy or Jaeger or sometimes absinthe if you're weird like me and like absinthe. Um, we don't really get kind of the more delicate like fennel aniseed aromas that aren't as concentrated. And I think it's a really nice balanced drink. Um, you can kind of detect some of the other ingredients in here as well, but um, it's mostly about that anise. I mean, I'm like, I'm just sitting here and I'm breathing after I take a sip, I'm breathing out through my nose and just the richness that's present in this, like mm -hmm. the variety of aromas that I'm getting off of this is just lovely. Yeah. And when I say light, I'm not saying that they're faint I'm they're just refreshing and kind of like, um, like not a heavy flavor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if gin calmed down a little bit. Yeah. If, if, if gin took about 30% off of that. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's, it's intense, but it isn't heavy. Yeah. That is, that is absolutely delightful. You know, I've actually uh, used Uzo in just a little bit of gustatory efforts, but I think that I'm going to probably be enjoying it like this more often than not from now on. And I think this is a good reason why it's served traditionally and in modern day with Meza. If you don't know what Meza is, Meza is very similar to Spanish tapas or even Korean banchan. It's basically small plates of appetizers. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And actually, in Greece, a very popular business model is oozeries and that is a tavern that sells ouzo and various kinds of meza as well so it's almost kind of designed to be paired with food over in greece so if we were to do this like super traditionally i'm guessing like we would have it with maybe some domades or some stefato i could see that being really lovely so you mentioned earlier that there were some Uzo products that were more or less quality. How mm -hmm. is that kind of like designated? Like what should people be looking for when they're trying to decide on an Uzo? So fun fact, uh, Uzo is a PDO now, which is a protected designation of origin product under EU law that covers other things from Greece in particular, like Kalamata olives, feta cheese, all of those are PDOs. Oh, wow. So this is actually has some government regulations. So people yeah. should be able to have a reasonable expectation mm -hmm. of quality. Yeah. So just a little fun fact, about 50% of production in Greece is from the island of Lesbos. Oh, wow. And How many producers are in the country? About 300. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And like 50% of the production is done yeah. on one place. Yeah. Can you imagine what the oozeries are like there? Oh, I would imagine very amazing. So um, I mentioned earlier that a lot of producers do combine ouzo yeast with additional alcohol and anethyl flavoring. This is kind of considered a lower quality um, form of ouzo. However, as far as I found, there isn't like a labeling term for that, unfortunately. Mm. So I, I think you kind of just have to know your producer on that one. But the good news is, is that the ouzo yeast cannot be less than 20% of the final product under Greek law. So you know that you're still getting, you know, not 5% ouzo yeast and 95% yeah. this filler like content. Like the way that they do Kona coffee blends. Yeah. It's like, yeah. there's there's 2% Kona mm -hmm. coffee in this exactly <laughs> so so there is some regulation around that um but a lot of distilleries will try to advertise if they have done the work to you know 
triple distill or whatever their product. So hopefully on the label, you can find at least some description of what you're getting. And obviously your price point is going to tell you a little bit more as well. So uh, how much did uh, we end up paying for this guy? $21, I believe. $21 and some change. That's not that bad at all. Yeah. I mean, this is absolutely delightful. So with this being such a popular drink and having been such a classical drink in Greece for so long, I know it's picking up some use now in the Americas and Europe. People are starting to try this more and more often. Are there any other like interesting things about how this has been used since it's been part of Greek culture for so long? So in Cyprus, they actually uh, adopted ouzo into a thing called the ouzini, which is a drink of essentially uh, bitters, orange juice, and lemon juice that the tourism industry, at least, the Department of Tourism was trying to make the national drink of Cyprus to replace the brandy sour. Something a little bit more... Uh, Connected to their history, maybe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's supposed to be made with Cyprus origin ouzo as well. Interesting. Yeah. So the the name ouzo, though, I can't really find, like, a, a, like, what's the connection there? So we don't really know. We have some theories, though. Some more reliable than others. <laughs> so the one that seems to be, from what I looked into, the most viable is that when we look at Greek dictionaries, a lot of them trace the term to the Turkish word uzum, which means grape. And that would go way back to that Sapporo production that was happening on Mount Athos. Wait a minute, isn't there a uh, Turkish drink that has aniseed in it as well? Yes, Rocky. Right. So wh how long have they been making that? Was there is there a connection there? That I don't know. There is not a direct connection. As far as I know, a lot of Middle Eastern countries have a drink similar to Uzo. And that is in large part due to the fact that aniseed is a very um, easily accessible ingredient in the Middle East and Mediterranean area. So it just kind of made its way into their distilling because they've been distilling for hundreds, if not thousands of years at this point. I mean, that makes sense. And they're very different from what i can tell because rocky is like 150 yeah. proof like it's and the, the flavor concentration is higher as well i believe it does still have the cool water effect though oh you, because it's, you do it it yeah. still has that essential oil in it mm -hmm. that yeah. makes sense so that's the most like reliable one that you can find but what mm -hmm. are some of the other ones that you came across so both of these are greek words slash phrases uh there is one called ozo which is directly translated to I smell and makes sense. Uzo has a pretty prominent uh, yeah. nose, pretty pungent. It might have also come from Uzo, like O-U space Z-O, which means I do not live slash can't live without. <laughs> uh, so, well, it, it's more implied metaphorically to be I can't live without. So I can't live without my Uzo, Uzo. which Uzo. is just wonderfully poetic. And I also pray for your liver if that's actually true. Well, I'm also kind of wondering if it's just like if somebody begins a conversation that way, like, oh, I can't live without my, you know, previous lover or whatever. It's just like, oh, cue the Uzo. Like, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. this is what we give the people. <laughs> Another popular theory, though, and this one has probably the most interesting story behind it, which kind of also makes me think it's probably the least likely to be true. But we'll oh, see. Yeah. And that is it came from the term Uso Marsiglia which translated to for use in Marseille. Now, Marseille is in France, and 
from Ternavos, that island that the first distillery came from, they also used to export, or maybe they still do, I actually don't know if that's the case, but at least at one point in history, they were exporting their silkworm cocoons for silk production. And Uso Marsiglia was stamped on those crates that were being shipped out. Interesting. And because the silkworm cocoons were of enough quality to make really good silk, then the term Uso Marsiglia became kind of synonymous with high quality product from Tirnavos. Some people will say that that term began to be applied to the Sapporo that was being produced as well. And then that was further applied to Uso by an Ottoman Greek consulate. He was a physician named Anastasios Bey around 1896. And the story is that he tried the Uso and he exclaimed, oh, it's Uso Marsiglia. And then the name stuck. And then, <laughs> you know, it got shortened over time into Uso. Again, it, it's... It would be nice if that was true, because uh, yeah. that, that sounds really interesting, but a lot of that seems just very, um, I mean, it's like, it's this character-driven it, story. It, it's, you know, Italy and Greece, they really like to give a story behind a product, that I is, noticed. I feel like all of this was actually just, like, made in one of the uh, mezzo cafes, and, <laughs> yeah. like, with a French individual and a Greek individual, and they were just trying to tell each other the true origin. Well, so the story about Anastasios actually did come from a newspaper in Ternavos. Oh, so that actually has some, some documentation. But it was also written in the 1950s or 60s, I believe. So oh. about 50-ish years after this allegedly happened. So I, I have a feeling the reporting on that might have had an opportunity for an accuracy. Yeah, maybe. Maybe <laughs> a little embellishment. Oh, good. I mean, well, there's there's a lot of that inside of the way that Uzo is treated. I mean, it's been around Greece for so long. Apparently, it's considered kind of a cure-all in a lot of areas. Do tell. Uh, yeah, so... But what uh, are we curing? Well, and especially in a lot of more of like the elderly culture of Greece, which mm -hmm. no disrespect to anybody's grandma or grandpa, they always are talking about its health benefits. It's supposed to like keep you healthy. It's supposed to keep you young. Um, it's a lot of folk medicine. Well, you I know? guess that's why the old people believe in it so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the life expectancies aren't terrible in Greece. So yeah, who knows? Maybe there's something to it. But there is absolutely no scientific evidence for that whatsoever. And there are a lot of different things. Like it's it's a very versatile spirit, as as we we would say, with lots of different health benefits. Okay, give me some examples. Okay, uh, well, it can be served warm before bed to cure a headache and the flu. Oh, and the flu. Okay, and the flu. It's kind of the same idea as your hot toddy, mm -hmm. um, or taking a, a shot of I think it was either brandy or gin. And then wrapping yourself up in blanket, you know, the sweated out type people. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, historically speaking, without access to NyQuil, it kind of makes sense. You'd want to just kind of knock yourself out with something. Yeah, get some rest. Yeah. Um, I, I do not recommend officially from this podcast. <laughs> Maybe don't do that now. But uh, I've totally done that in the past. <laughs> Where it's just like, you know, not, not a, a great deal of stuff because you feel a little weak anyway. Some of them make sense, though. Like the toothache. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you pain can, relief from alcohol. Yeah, you know, especially when you're drunk. Well, they basically what they would do is they would um just hold a cloth soaked in it against your tooth because ah, okay. alcohol numbs things. Yeah, but they're also saying like rub it on tight muscles or joints or you know take a shot before you're going to be having your time of the month or whatever. It's little things like that 
I think that the funniest ones come from like back when the Romans were were in the area. Well, what were the Romans doing with it? Uh, well, so like th- they'll still do this sort of where like they take a bit of the ouzo, they soak it in a wool cloth, and like they put it on like their muscles or their joints. But what the Romans were doing, they would rub their like swollen feet in the warm ouzo in order to get the swelling to go down. I don't understand that being a thing, but also they would take a wool cloth, they would soak it, and then they would set it on fire, iron it, and place it on a person's abdomen. Uh, there are a lot of uh. steps involved, and that was supposed to like help them to heal quicker. But trying to cure asthma with that same woolen cloth with the addition of red pepper so you can kill them. One way or another, their troubles are over. Yeah, th- this has... um. This has very strong, oh, he ran into my knife. Yeah. <laughs> he ran into my knife 12 times energy. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it's just like, oh, no, he's having trouble breathing. I should probably give him something to open up his sinuses. This is a great way to uh, kill a senator that's, you know, trying to limit your expansion of your empire. Or a very ambitious soldier. Or a very ambitious soldier, yeah. Oh, no, you're having trouble exercising. It would be a shame if you were to die and I no longer had to deal with your reputation for my little, uh, my little troop. So what I'm gathering from this is that Uzo is basically, like, from my big fat Greek wedding... Uzo is Greece's Windex. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, they just that's when they moved to America. There's not a lot of production facilities yeah, so for they Uzo. Said, what can we replace this with? Right. And then they found Windex. It's just like the way that you know the uh, winter solstice was uh, replaced by Christmas. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, we don't we don't have the Yule log here, so uh, I guess we're doing a Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There it is. We don't have Uzo production facilities. It's Windex now, which. I'm telling you right now, is not as good as an aperitif. (laughs) Are you saying that from experience? No, thank God. Oh my! Could you imagine? Do not consume Windex, people. Yeah, by all means, it's not late by Lush Brood. Oh gosh! Uh, If you guys do want to try a cocktail or two, uh, you guys can see that on our TikTok being released uh, sometime this week. And we appreciate you guys being here today. We were able to get through a lot of information on this really amazing drink. We're able to talk about the origin, where it came from and its name, how different innovations of technology were able to kind of revolutionize what it became today. And then we were able to get into a lot of how it was produced. The fact that it is this distilled spirit of water, you have your alcohol and you also have this essential oil of anise along with some other flavoring compounds. We really appreciate you guys being here. What do we think that we're going to be covering on our next episode of Laidback Lush? Something so interesting. Something remarkably interesting. Something that'll fascinate you. This is not our way of saying we don't know what we're going to talk about. No, not at all. Why would we ever mask that? We have a five-year yeah. plan. Yeah. <laughs> we have five years worth of episodes lined up. Yeah, we don't even think anymore. We just read. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have it set up like a children's book. We just kind of... Oh, through. gosh. It's actually a pop-up over here. Uh, I just have a little... Yeah, Michael book. went all out on his. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're not going to express yourself artistically, why express yourself at all? We might as well go out on that one. Yeah. Oh, that's a good quote. Again, thank you guys so much for joining us on Laidback Lush. Please do subscribe at Laidback Lush on Instagram and Twitter, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>